Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I am your host, Charles Woods. Today's episode is part two of our two-part season five finale. Episode 89 is also another entry in the Big Rhetorical Podcast Keystone Perspectives series. Keystone Perspectives, a capstone podcast, episodes are designed to highlight the life and work of distinguished scholars and professionals working in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication. Scholars featured as a part of the Keystone Perspective series are people who enjoy discussing the development of their scholarship, their pedagogy, and their service to the fields and disciplines of rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication. These biannual episodes act as a digital archive with the potential to impact our fields now and in the future. Keystone Perspectives episodes also serve to track specific disciplinary themes as they manifest throughout time. Today, I talk with leaders from WPA Go, the Writing Program Administrators Graduate Organization. However, before we get to today's interview, the Big Rhetorical Podcast has some news to share. Earlier this year, we launched the Big Rhetorical Podcast Fellowship a paid opportunity for graduate students to work on an episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast and help us shape the direction of our podcast and extend our reach. I am thrilled to announce Michael J. Benjamin from the University of Louisville as the inaugural recipient of the Big Rhetorical Podcast Fellowship. Michael is a PhD student in rhetoric and composition. He earned his M.A. in English at St. John's University, where he served as a graduate assistant in the University Writing Center. He has also taught English in Slovakia as a Fulbright Fellow and taught first-year composition at multiple universities across New York. His current research interests include writing center studies, critical pedagogy, popular culture, and literacy. We have already been in contact with Michael, and we are so excited to work with him. You'll hear from Michael during Season 6. WPA Go does a lot of great work supporting graduate students. Their mission statement is as follows, quote, WPA Go, Writing Program Administrators Graduate Organization, works with the CWPA, Council of Writing Program Administrators, to support WPA preparation for graduate students and strengthen connections between graduate students and professional WPAs by providing the following awards, funding, and grants for conference travel and organizational service, mentoring with scholar professionals across various institutions, networking with other graduate students across various institutions, professional development experience in organizational administration and service at the national level, resources for and opportunities to learn about anti-bias writing program administration and writing assessment, 
attention to writing instruction, assessment, and program administration using the lens of social justice, including, but, but not limited to, perspectives that address racial justice, feminist, queer, decolonial, and disability frameworks. WPA GO is committed to fostering an equitable community. Today, I talk with members of the WPA GO leadership team, including Jennifer Burke Reifman from the Mentoring Committee, Gabrielle Isabel Kalini, Past Chair and Digital Presence Committee, Misty D. Fuller, Diversity Committee, Turnip Van Dyke, Treasurer and Accessibility Committee, and Laura Harden Marshall, the Chair. I hope you enjoy my conversation with WPA Go. What's your name, your title, your institution, and your role there? Who are you and what do you do? My name is Gabrielle Kalini. I am a PhD candidate in composition and rhetoric at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I work at the Writing Center there as the TA, TA coordinator of multicultural and social justice initiatives. Um, and I am the past chair of WPA GO. I am Laura Hardin Marshall. I am a PhD candidate in rhetoric and composition as well. I'm at St. Louis University, uh, where I am the writing program coordinator's assistant, um, kind of acting as assistant coordinator as well. It's a dual role. Um, and I am the WPA GO current chair. My name is Misty Fuller. I'm at Indiana State University as a PhD candidate, and I'm the writing program assistant director with WPA GO. I am uh, the diversity co-chair. I am Turnip Van Dyke. I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Um, I am a PhD student in rhetoric and composition at the University of Texas at El Paso, where I'm an assistant instructor and also the assistant director for the writing center uh, for WPA Go. I am the treasurer and I also co-chair the accessibility subcommittee. Hi, my name is Jennifer Berg-Riefman. I'm a fourth year PhD student. Um, in the School of Education at UC Davis, with an emphasis in writing, rhetoric, and composition studies. Um, I work as the assistant to the director of entry-level writing there, as well as an instructor of our hybrid first-year courses. And for WPA Go, I'm one of the mentoring committee co-chairs. Excellent. Thank you all for joining me uh, for this episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. Let's jump in with a question for you all. I'd love to hear from you all, but it doesn't matter who answers first. What is WPA GO? How did it start? What is its genesis? And how did it come to be what it is today? So I guess as past chair, the person with the most institutional knowledge here, um, I can answer that question. So WPA GO um, stands for the Writing Program Administrators Graduate Organization. Um, it began in 2010 um, as an activist space, space um, by founders Kristen Elder and Megan Schoen, um, who wanted to connect graduate students to one another and to professionals in the field. Um, uh, it, in the past, 
Um, the council, uh, we've been attached to the uh, Council of Writing Program Administrators, CWPA, as our parent organization. Um, we recently um, split from uh, them temporarily um, in order to focus on our own anti-racist um, goals and actions um, and in order to continue to provide spaces for uh, graduate students in writing studies to connect um, without the uh, disruptions that unfortunately CWPA is experiencing right now. And I'd say also kind of looking at the, the question of what is WPA GO in general, I think what WPA GO really has at its heart is to um, support and advocate for graduate students, um, especially through conferences, workshops, you know, travel grants, um, different creating and facilitating different opportunities for mentorship and collaboration between graduate students um, and you know, one another, and but also connecting to um, professionals in the field and really getting that experience in order to become professional writing program administrators as well. How did you first get involved with WPA Go? Why did you think it was important? Maybe we can start with Turnip. Sure. Thanks, Charles. I got involved with WPA Go. Um, pandemic timelines are always fuzzy, but uh, a little bit before that in the fall of 2019, um, so it was actually my first year in the PhD program, um, and I was sort of keeping an ear out for ways to connect uh, more broadly with the broader professional world. Um, I'm trans and non-binary, and there are only so many, you know, to connect with on, on any given campus um, of us. And so I was looking forward to a way to meet more people. Um, and so I got involved with the inaugural year of the accessibility committee that I served on through that. And then from there, um, continued to serve with the organization, um, jumping on last year as treasurer. Um, and I continue to serve in that role now. Um, I actually heard about the organization from my writing program director, um, uh, uh, Jimmy Butts. Um, <laughs> um, he suggested it a couple years ago, and then the pandemic happened, and my brain, like, chaos. Um, and then in my inbox, I saw we were looking for some people, and I thought, why not? <laughs> This is a great opportunity. Um, and I think it's just at, at my particular institution, there's not a huge emphasis on writing program uh, education. So I thought this would be a great way to get connected with other people who are trying to kind of figure out like, okay, as I move forward, what can I expect? I had a really similar experience, Misty. I am. Um... I had returned to PhD life um, after a number of years teaching at community colleges, and I was really disconnected feeling from professional organizations. And um, I'm in a really small program too. And one of my um, program cohorts, uh, shout out to Stacey Woodstock, um, who's a former member of WPA Go Leadership Council. She told me about it. She said, you know, you have to try and get involved. It's, it's so good for folks like us who feel so isolated here. Um, and that's been exactly my experience. It's been great just seeing people all over the country doing things that I love to do too. I am um, a compulsive, um, have to know everything and be involved in everything kind of person, which is a 
very detriment uh, to my work-life balance, of course. Um, but it's one of those things where I like to know all of this stuff and I like to hear all the gossip and I like to be involved behind the scenes. Um, and at one of our, you know, we have to do kind of graduate student yearly review progress reports. One of the questions is, you know, well, what kind of professional organizations are you involved in? And so I'm a first generation college student, you know, at just like Jennifer, I taught at community college for many years, you know, so came into the, the PhD program with, you know, very little knowledge of what are the things that I should be doing as an academic and as a graduate student. And so I, you know, did some, did some searching, you know, what, what organizations should I be involved in? Um, and so that's where I, I came into WPA GO and also the International Writing Centers Association GO. Um, so that's how I, that's how I came to it. Um, as a first year graduate student, I was encouraged to join WPA GO by um, current members at the time, um, including Virginia Schwartz, who was um, in my program, just recently graduated. Um, and uh, she pitched it as a way to learn more about writing program administrator, make friends from um, across the country um, who are interested in the same stuff you are and nerding out with you. Um, and, uh, and a great way to kind of gain some really tangible skills in terms of uh, kind of project development, program development, um, and a great way to network and meet professional WPAs and learn more about that position at different types of institutions. Um, and so I applied for um, what is now the Leadership Council um, and used to be the Graduate Committee um, at that time. And when I applied, I was right afterwards <laughs> encouraged to apply for the Vice Chair position. And I was like, what? I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, and they were like, it's okay, we'll help you. Like, it'll be okay. Um, and, uh, and so I did it. Um, so I applied and my very first year I was elected as vice chair of the organization. Um, and uh, they remain true to their word. Um, I think that uh, the beauty of WPA Go and what really came true for me is that um, I have uh people have got my back um, and people who um, are have that automatic connection. Oh, you're WPGO? I was WPGO. Oh, well, let's talk about this. And how's the organization doing? And what are y'all working on right now? How can I support it now that I have a faculty position or I'm tenured or whatever it is, right? Um, and, uh, and that was true as a very, very new vice chair. Um, and it is especially true now as past chair and trying to navigate um, the changes that we're making as an organization. Anti-racism and anti-racist work is permeating across disciplines across sectors now. Certainly organizations like WPA Go are committed to performing anti-racist work. In what ways is WPA Go committed to performing this work? Um, I'm gonna respond based on uh, the last meeting I had with the diversity committee. I'd say definitely holding a space, um, which I think could be an answer for a lot of the questions you're probably gonna ask, but holding a space for what we're anticipating and what we're experiencing in our respective institutions. Um, I know uh, there was one very outspoken person in our last meeting who uh, white supremacy was like very prevalent 
and their institution. And she really felt like she didn't have anywhere to go or to like talk through it and figure it out. Um, but within our committee, because everybody has a goal and wants to figure out how do we make this work within our particular contexts, um, she was able to kind of get that out. And we had a space where we could openly discuss uh, our frustrations, but not get stuck there and actually move forward about like, okay, what are some practices we do um, in your classroom? What has worked for me? Um, and just to be able to have that gen uh, without fear of like worrying about what's going on in your own institution and how somebody there might take issue with it. So just by like the very, um, to begin with, I would say we hold that space and we're pretty uh, upfront and outspoken about it. Um, so I, I went to, and this, this analogy is actually relevant. I promise it'll get there. Um, I went to undergrad, uh, directly during and after the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and during that time, and I, I went to a, a public institution for undergrad, and um, during that time, obviously, across the country, there were a lot of austerity measures being taken with a lot of discussion of cuts to public education, especially at the higher ed level. Um, I was a student union representative, which was sort of the equivalent of the student government for the, for the um, institution I was at. And I vividly remember uh, a meeting that we were having with um, some of the administrators for the college and they sat us down and were like, we see you as a primary voice of the students. And so like, you need to let us know kind of what you see is going on. Um, and so I'm connecting that here with, I'm certainly not going to pretend that WPAGO is the only graduate student voice in our field, but we are recognized as a prominent graduate student voice. And so I think part of the work of anti-racism is, is leveraging that voice and leveraging the position that we are given and the prominence that we do have um, towards ends that we think are materially effective to enacting and ensuring anti-racist change. I also think maybe something worth discussing in terms of anti-racism and, and anti-racist work that, that goes into writing studies in particular, I think because you know literacy and communication is something that's so prevalent, you know, everyone at some point usually um, learns, you know, has to communicate with others in various ways um, and, and through different accessibility options, right? And so I think anti-racism needs to be at the heart of, of what anyone related to writing studies does. And so that's definitely where you know, we, we need to see it at all levels, at, at every kind of type of university, at every type of organization. So it's definitely, um, you know, we are beholden to, to commit to that work as well, since it is so important to the sorts of um, social justice and linguistic justice that, that we need to see when it comes to writing and communication and, and language. I would just add that I think that um, beyond maybe performing anti-racist work, we are trying to um, enable um, or make spaces for um, people to enact that work and share how they are enacting anti-racism at their institutions, um, in the field of writing studies, at different organizations. Um, and so I think a lot of the moves that we're making as an organization um, relate or I guess give um, opportunities for um, 
people to express their opinions and perspectives with us so that we can take those into consideration and what we do next and what we offer. Um, and also asking questions. Um, and I think that questioning is a very powerful um, uh, strategy um, when enacting anti-racism because it allows um, for multiple voices to be heard, um, for um, different people to represent um, where, they where they're coming from and their positionalities um, so that all of that can be considered in um, the programming that we design, the ways that we reach out to people, um, the ways that we recruit members for the leadership council and for um, our different committees, the, the things that we highlight on our social media. Um, and so being very deliberate in that work, I think allows us to go beyond performing and really into enacting. I just wanna add that I think that's the affordance of our, our uh, countrywide organization is that we get to de-silo people and enter into conversations and um, share ideas that I don't think we I would have been uh, privy to before. So we really get to bring in all these different kinds of voices as ways to operationalize that mission that I think we're very um, connected to. Hearing you all speak, it seems like to me that there is recognition or acknowledgement of the responsibility that you have in, in, in enacting this work, going back to, to, what, to what Misty said earlier, because you have the space to do so, right? Because you have the space. And as, um, as someone in the field, it just is refreshing, right? Uh, to, to understand and, and hear that responsibility you know, permeate in your, in your voices. So let me ask you this, um, what have you all done? What, what have you all done to your bylaws to help achieve anti-racist goals to enact anti-racism? I think for me, one of the things that particularly came to light with the um, CWPA issues is that the, the bylaws themselves and the ways that certain policies and procedures are, are written and the way that they are kind of structured, you know, the system itself can often have a lot of um, barriers and a lot of gatekeeping moves that are built into them. So one of the things that um, I think was important with the bylaws that we changed was um, you know, removing certain types of requirements or, or policies that were acting as gatekeepers. Um, so, so for instance, requiring certain uh, certain year of service or a certain type of service or certain roles to be held before leadership positions could be held. So um, I think that was a big one, um, especially so as Gabby said, she jumped right into vice chair position. I did the same thing. I came in, um, I was unaffiliated with the organization um, prior to coming in as vice chair. Um, and, and for especially for people of non-dominant groups, you know, service, and this is service, right? Uh, a lot of the work that WPAs do in general is service. Um, that doing, having the time and um, the, the energy and just the labor affordances to do service work yeah. is a lot more difficult. And so when you build in those types of requirements before anyone can even get into leadership, that makes it even more challenging for um, non-dominant people to, to participate. And so that's one of the things we, we worked on removing as much as we could um, in some of our bylaws. I also think that as a person who was new to this work um, and new to the, to the field even, um, that allowed me to ask a lot of 
questions about why things were a certain way, um, which then, you know, prompted people, I'm not quite sure, why is that that way, right? And like, well, if we can't find a reason to still have it that way, maybe we should change it. Um, And so that was, I mean, that was a constant question and process that we went through with the uh, bylaws is, is this still true? Do we need this? What about this? And um, would this prevent someone who I want to join the organization from joining the organization? Would this prevent um, or gatekeep um, us from making changes that we want to make? Um, And I, I think that that helped us implement election procedures that um, uh, that require a minimum of two nominees from non-dominant communities. And non-dominant communities is defined really broadly and as nominees self-identify. Um, and just really standing behind our commitment to um, the idea that representation matters um, and, uh, and that blind processes, right, aren't necessarily um, always uh, the most helpful in terms of enacting change. And then we've also been able to, um, and I forget the history of how long this has been in place, but we're, we've definitely made it more explicit in bylaws to have term limits, um, to your term limits on all positions that you're serving in the organization. And then along with that, uh, we try to keep the number of people from the same institution, especially at the leadership council level of WPA Go, being limited to possibly like two people from the same institution at any given time to kind of, again, I I think this adds to some strengths that we were talking about earlier as part of the draw of the organization is this diversity of voices from across the field and across uh, the U.S., And that's in part ensured through a a wide variety of institutional representation along with um, sort of the identities being held by people. I think too, there was a real strong willingness to um, remove some of the timeliness issues around um, these, these processes that happen in organizations that if we don't have the right number of nominees, we just have to go forward. We need to fill these spots. And we've all learned to be really patient and make the call multiple times and reach out to more people. Um, so it's it's been, it's in our bylaws, but it's become an ethos of the group too. More after this. Would you like to join Charles in the Big Rhetorical Podcast? The podcast is booking for next season now. The Big Rhetorical Podcast offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Do you have a new book coming out? Are you hitting the job market this cycle? The Big Rhetorical Podcast wants to talk to you. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to a community-based writing project with an emphasis on inclusivity in localizing knowledge and in strengthening relationships among peers. Make sure to check out our back catalog of episodes as well as listen to our new podcast each week wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have questions about The Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at the website www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find The Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at The Big Ret. 
Follow the podcast on Facebook or email us at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. Welcome back. Laura and Gabrielle, you mentioned uh, the Council of Writing Program Administrators already. The Council of Writing Program Administrators, CWPA, has faced a whirlwind year. That's, that's fair. Specifically, the CWPA failed in their attempt to perform anti-racist work according to to Sal Inouye and the task force he was a part of. What is WPA Go's relationship with the WCPA now? Where do you stand with them? So a little bit of context for those who maybe didn't follow all of the events at the time that they were taking place. Um, In the spring of 2021, a CWPA meeting was called to discuss the work of um, the task force that you mentioned. Um, and their goal was to create, um, or, or so that the task force was created to revise CWPA's first year writing outcome statement. Um, so it, it was, I, I don't remember how old it was at that point, but it, it needed a revamp and they really wanted to revamp it in particular with attention to um, being more inclusive and being actively anti-racist. And so the task force was created um, with anti-racist scholars and particularly emphasis on anti-racist voices. Um, However, a result of the meeting that was called to to talk about and to to discuss the work of the task force um, was the result was the the boycott that was called on CWPA um, due to kind of the ongoing and varied concerns about CWPs PA's behavior um, towards scholars of color in particular. And this is not just from the task force, but you know, histi- institutionally and historically um, documented in, in incidents where, where the, this, is, this has been a problem. Um, as WPA Go shared a lot of those concerns uh, voiced by uh, Asao Inouye and others, uh, we opted to temporarily put our affiliation with CWPA on hold. Um, our, one of the aims for doing so was to give the organization um, a bit of space and a bit of time to reflect on their own commitments and, and what they are doing as an organization, uh, to ideally develop realistic goals and a plan of action to make realistic changes in the organization, um, and to begin enacting that plan. So um, we also hoped that CWPA would, would take on that labor and do all of the hard work that is required of that labor um, and do that work for themselves and within themselves as an organization, because um, a lot of that work very often falls on others, such as scholars of color, um, the the task force itself and graduate students, right? So we we wanted to give them the space to work on that on their own um, without WPA Go acting as sort of a, a crutch. Um, so we gave them some time and um, we said that, you know, we wanted to give them room for that work and we'll reevaluate our um, the, the priorities of the organization, what they've been doing in that time, um, and then we'll reassess and communicate with them, um, hopefully sometime soon. Um, CWPA recently sent out a message uh, as well um, to members um, in which they gave uh, an update on their progress. Um, It sounds as though they are in the process of selecting an audit firm to conduct an external review of the organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, um, which will entail some listening sessions and review of their procedures and bylaws. Um, And as an organization, we've talked a lot about 
Um, the fact that we are hopeful that CWPA continues to engage with and commit to this work. We look forward to their um, continued efforts and learning more about them. Um, and, uh, and we're interested in seeing um, kind of how they respond according to um, the timeline that we set out in our response. Um, and so we're hoping to, uh, um, to engage with them on those specific issues um, in our response and then to, uh, to see, you know, if they reach out or if we reach out um, according to that timeline, which, you know, is in a few months, um, which gives them, you know, more time to continue on their path. This seems like an incredible moment for our field. It really does. Uh, we have uh, voices from multiple perspectives, graduate students, you all, uh, Dr. Inouye, the CWPA is an established organization. This might be a bit of a freewheeling question that I might cut out, but what do you all make of this moment and its importance? I'm not, I guess I'm asking you to think forward, right? And what it's going to mean for our field as we move forward, right? Any thoughts there? I think any institution is going to be problematic no matter how established you are. Um, and I think one of the great things about WPA Go is it is a space for us to think forward so that we're not doing the same things we've always done and getting the same things we've always gotten. And I know it's cliche, but not a cliche. <laughs> um, so, I mean, in terms of like, uh, the future, um, as much as I hate to use this term, because I know it's kind of loaded, but there's a level of accountability there, right? Like, you want to be able to say, okay, this is how it's been, but here's how it could be, and start making those moves. And I think that's a huge thing we do in WPA Go. I'll just add that um, I think that uh, many questions um, from our field are how. How do we do anti-racist work? How do we make our work anti-racist? And I think that this pivotal moment in our field um, is ripe with examples of how. Um, I think that CWPA is on the a path toward you know making those actions um, really visible for members of our field, especially within writing program administration, um, which is like weighed down with bureaucracy and um, and budgets and asking permission and and finding people to ally with and um, and all of those things, right? And I think that. Um, CWPA has a real opportunity here um, to make those actions really visible for others to take. Um, and I think the field as a whole um, is, uh, is going beyond performance to um, deeply considered and intentional actions um, uh, to in ensure that their work is anti-racist. I find for me that it's really valuable to be pessimistic about um, future prospects. I think for me that 
is uh, an important reminder of yeah. the breadth of work that is involved. Um, you know, it whenever we scope something out to like anti-racism within a particular, you know, uh, field or discipline within higher ed alone, I think that scopes it away from the broader work of dismantling racist history and structures within like a U.S. context or within a global context that is absolutely kind of a part of that. Um, so I'm just reminded of, you know, Derek Bell's understanding of like the permanence of racism, that this is not something that we will outlive or be able to outgrow in some way, but is instead like a legacy that's like deeply rooted within us. Um, and as a result, something that, you know, I, I was reading a book from transformative justice work where I think it's Ajaris Dixon recently was talking about, um, you know, doing the work of generations. Uh, this is not something that I... I think that like anti-racist goals in terms of like um, making race actually a category that does not need to be considered in some way. And because we've done the work to structurally ensure that it is not in any way a relevant um, identity or a category of experience is not something that I think we can envision anywhere near our lifetimes or anywhere in the next few generations. Um, but um, coming from that angle and coming from that work is, is worthwhile, even with that pessimism. So I, I'll lean on Misty's saying like, you know, there's, we, we want that window of like possibility and asking what could this be like? And I think that that space of like imagining, even though I'm overall pessimistic is, is really worthwhile and uh, motivating. What I see in WPA Go too, it, in, in contrast to other organizations that I participate in is very much a willingness to not just talk about things, but okay, now what does that look like? Um, and so the tangible artifacts of those discussions are the most, those are the most fun and rewarding things that I think we do when we put something together that actually um, represents where we're all coming from and the stances we all take. So I think in this group, particularly, we're in a moment where words aren't enough. It's, it's actions or, or it's nothing at all. And I think that's also something that's very promising, not just in WPA Go, but across the board in that we're seeing lots of, you know, conferences and, um, you know, calls for, for paper, papers and, and publications and things that have anti-racism at, at its center. And so hopefully by generating all of this, um, you know, these, these different materials and scholarship about this, we can develop a better arsenal of, you know, what are those hows? How are the ways that we actually, you know, enact these these things? And so, I think hopefully, um, with all of this collective work, we're really getting a, a variety of tools of something we can actually you know, do something with. And I think the doing is is what's important. One of the things I find most fascinating about WPA Go, and always have, um, is the support and the opportunities, right, that you all you all create for graduate students. So what are some of the things that you all do to support graduate students? And why is this work important? I, I hope Jennifer brags about this more in a second, but I wanna shout out the mentoring committee. Uh, it's been really important to me. Uh, shout out to my mentor who was assigned through WPA Go last year, Kat Bell, who's out in San Diego now. Um, as just a really rewarding relationship that I would not have had without WPA Go. And we're still in contact and that's still absolutely um, a key source of professional mentorship for me right now. Yeah, maybe I can speak to that a little bit more. Um, yeah, one of the goals of the mentoring committee is 
to make sure that um, graduate students are they're given um, access to all these scholars across the country who know WPA Go and who have different perspectives on work and what it means to be a faculty member, um, what it means to present at conferences, what it means to write. And the mentoring community is pretty, or committee is, um, one of our, our main goals is to put those people in contact with each other. And I always hear about how rewarding that is for pe from people like Turnip. So um, that's a reoccurring thing that we always try to maintain. I think WPA Go offers multiple different ways to engage with others who are interested in similar things. So whether that's online or one-to-one um, -one, um, spaces to build community, to find others who are doing similar work. Um, I think, so we have, you know, our social media platforms, we have a Discord, um, mentoring opportunities, um, other engagements in the works, right, um, for, for ways that um, graduate students can find one another and find mentors and find people to follow and engage with. Um, and, uh, and I think to, I think the idea of finding like-minded people who are committed to similar work and similar changes within our field, um, I think that uh, it's a really powerful feeling to know that this is the next generation and I know these people and I know they're committed to, to this work um, and I'm not alone in these commitments. I think for me, it's also important yeah, so I, I call myself an academic introvert where, you know, if, or sorry, it, it's, I'm, I'm normally an introvert, but I'm an academic extrovert. And so like, if you sit me in a classroom, I can be extroverted, right? And I can talk about things and I can, I can do this and that. And, you know, but would you take me out of the classroom? Now I am, I'm very much introverted and it's a, it's a little harder for me to engage with people more on the social level, but with something like WPA Go, we already have this connection. We have this thing where we know that we have this abiding interest in, in composition and writing studies and, and working with students and, and helping support students. And so it gives um, people who maybe are a little bit more on the in, introvert side a, a way to really um, bridge some of those harder um, uh, gaps in order to connect with people and to, to find the people that you do that you do click with and that you do have those um, those interests to to relate to one another with. So, what should we be on the lookout for next? What's on the WPA Go agenda coming up the rest of this year? So the Digital Presence Committee is working with the Accessibility Committee um, to put on a graduate research series um, to highlight graduate student research, research in anti-racism and social justice um, in writing studies and writing program administration, especially for those students whose work uh, was displaced due to canceled conferences for the pandemic um, and CWPA being canceled now a couple years in a row. Um, so we hope to have um, short videos posted on YouTube, um, followed by a watch party event and panel discussion. That sounds awesome. Anything else that we need to be on the lookout for, y'all? Uh, the mentoring committee will be, uh, we're working on starting an anti-racism reading group. Um, we're still kind of figuring out what that looks like, but 
getting a text that we can all read and discuss um, synchronously, probably through Zoom, I think. Um, and as always, we'll be having our Breakfast Buddies mentoring event that happens at SEAS every year. Um, I'm thinking that this year we'll probably do a combination of formats because I, we imagine some people will be in person, some people will still be remote. So um, kind of making the best of both situations to connect more people. Um, with the diversity committee, um, we've kind of started talking about um, how we can begin to train incoming teachers um, on how to be confident in anti-racist pedagogies. Um, we've noticed that, you know, when you're a new teacher, you're kind of nervous to begin with. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, bringing up something that could lead to conflict uh, can be very scary. Um, so kind of working with incoming teachers, how would you prepare them for if you want to do this kind of work? How do you get confident in that? It sounds like there's a lot to look forward to. Um, that's exciting. Very exciting. So where can listeners find more information about WPA Go online? Uh, website, social media handles, stuff like that. The easiest way probably to connect with us and all of our various you know, miscellany in terms of media is going to Linktree. Uh, so we have L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash WPA Go. Um, and so we have all of our um, nice things all linked on there. But we're also very easy to find on Twitter and Instagram, of course, um, we're WPA underscore G-O. Um, so those are probably the easiest ways to reach out to us and, and connect us in, in all of our um, endeavors that we'll, we'll be putting together. And you know, we also have, we, we encourage people to um, email us. We are WPAgo1 at gmail.com. So if there are um, you know, events or ideas, you know, we, we welcome hearing from graduate students uh, across the nation and, you know, and seeing what sorts of support and what sorts of things that, that they need, right? So um, we, we have the leadership council and we have our committee members um, who help us try to, to brainstorm and, and get good ideas, but we're always looking for more input from the, the graduate community and graduate allies um, to really keep, keep us going forward and um, put, putting together good programming that will, will keep people interested. And one more shout out to our Discord, which is a uh, interactive space that we're trying to grow right now. So that's a ongoing kind of chat space. If you haven't heard of Discord before, it functions similarly to Slack, but um, has more informal branding is the best way that I can pitch it. Um, but yeah, we have a server on there that um, has some ongoing conversations and we're actually at the moment trying to get like a uh, writing support group going for people who are like doing prospectus or dissertation work. And we just recently had our calls for committee members, um, but they'll roll around again sooner than later. And if you're someone who isn't sure or is nervous, um, don't be. Throw your name in the ring because um, it's much less scary than it might seem, and you'll have a lot of fun with us. Anything else you want to add before I let you all off here this evening? Thank you for your time, Charles. Yeah, thank you so much. This is this is my first time on a podcast, and um, I uh, it was not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Kind of like joining WPA Go. So, <laughs> thank you. I was talking to a first year student in my program earlier today, and she's doing a project right now on like pot, using podcasts in the classroom kind of thing. And I was like, oh, you should check out my podcast interview later. 
it was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is also my first podcast. Um, and can I just say, Charles, your voice is the most calming. It is. I don't know what it is. Are you? Where are you from? What? <laughs> I love it. It's great. <laughs> I'm from. I'm from Alabama. <laughs> so there's probably a twang. I love it. I love it. Lean in. <laughs> I was, uh, I just told my mom that I was a guest on a podcast and now she thinks I'm a superstar. So thank you for the clout. Well, in my opinion, you're all rock stars and that's why I wanted to talk to you all. You're doing important work and I notice it and other people notice it too. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for sitting with me today. Thank Thanks you. So much. Bye all everyone. Right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with WPA Goat. Remember, this episode, episode 89, is part two in the Big Rhetorical Podcast two-part season five finale. Don't miss part one, which is available now and features an interview with Dr. Asal B. Inouye. What a semester we have all had as students, instructors, researchers, and administrators. Breathe, relax, and enjoy some downtime in the next few weeks. You deserve it. I won't be back next week because the Big Rhetorical Podcast is on hiatus until the spring semester, when we will be back with Season 6 featuring all new episodes from scholars from around the world. Until then, always be listening rhetorically. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is produced by Exalt Digital Media, Exalt Digital Media, not-for-profit. This podcast was recorded on the sacred lands of the Tuscarora people, and we recognize and respect the people of the Kahari, Eastern Band of Cherokee, Haliwa Saponi, Meheran, Okanichi, Band of Saponi, Saponi, and Waccamaw Suen. Music for the Big Rhetorical Podcast is brought to you by DJ Lang, Grapes, and Stepha Helix.